We always refer to it as the you know big jump from full-time to freelance. How do I make the jump? It doesn't have to be a jump. It, it can be a jump if you make it a jump, but there are things that you can do ahead of time to make the jump feel more like a hop. And that's what I recommend that everyone who is thinking about leaving their job start to do. Welcome to Overtime, Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cederholm, your host, and this is episode 51. Our last episode, uh, number 50, was a great roundup of all of 2018's guests and the themes that came out of those conversations. And I think today's guest is actually a great example of a lot of these themes kind of bundled up into one. And uh, Lauren Hom is a very successful hand letterer, educator, designer, and she's, um, you know, talks today a lot about passion projects and how passion projects can be valuable, uh, not only as successful businesses, but uh, to sort of steer your career path in the direction that you want to go. And also, uh, you know, teaching, teaching by learning, learning by teaching. This is a theme that keeps coming up again and again. And, um, you know, Lauren, uh, it's just great to talk to her. She's wonderful insights about um, how to be uh, successful out there as a, as a uh, illustrator, letterer, designer, creative person. So I can guarantee you're going to dig this conversation with Lauren. Today's episode is brought to you by Dot Me. Make it easy for your clients to recognize your awesomeness by featuring your best work all in one place, a place you own and control. Start building your online home with .me, the most personal internet domain. And we thank them for sponsoring. We'll be talking more about .me later on in this episode. Let's go chat with Lauren Hom. We met in Omaha, Nebraska, probably five years ago or something. Yeah, 2014 or 2015. Yeah, and it, and that was great, and it was a AIGA show event there, and uh, I think you were just about to travel the world, which I I definitely want to get into later because that's a, it's just a massively cool project in a lot of ways, and uh, you know, big fan, obviously. Thank you. Uh, your work's amazing, uh, and really, you've you've had so many successes with with a lot of passion projects, and that was a theme that we had uh, running through last season quite a bit. And it's, so it's perfect to to start off this season with you uh, to talk about those and sort of how you how you took those passion projects and made them successes and everything. One, one of the passion projects that I think I'd just kick it off with is your flower crowns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah one of the recent ones. <laughs> yeah, it's a recent one. Flower crowns as in F-L-O-U-R. So yes. yeah, I wonder if you could, Tell us about that one and the inspiration for it, because it's really, it's both amazing and and a little bit humorous too, which I love. Thank you. Yeah, I think my passion projects tend to swing humorous because, you know, I I kind of fall into that stereotypical trope of workaholic, you know, graphic designer. And it allows me, if when I do fun passion projects, it allows me to play and work at the same time. And, you know, looking at flower, something like flower crowns, it's actually interesting to compare that to some of my earlier passion projects, which were all hand lettering based. I never thought I would be doing a passion project where I photograph bread on my head, which for those of you who aren't familiar with flower crowns, (laughs) that's what it is. Um, So I have like crowns made of croissants and baguettes and cookies and crackers and all those good things. And the idea stemmed from, I think I launched it in spring 2017. Uh, The idea stemmed from, I think it was, a couple, maybe a month prior, I was just starting to get a bunch of like music festival content in my Instagram feed and Facebook because I grew up in uh, Los Angeles. And so, you know, it's Coachella seasons right around the corner. And I kept seeing, you know, typical pictures of girls and cutoff shorts and flower crowns. And I just <laughs> had an idea because I am super passionate about cooking and food. The pun just naturally came to me. And I kind of wrote it off at first as like, oh, that's just a silly thing. And then I kind of had a spark and was like, you know, I could make that funny. Like I have always been interested in kind of styling and art direction and photography. It doesn't really have anything to do with my current like uh, profitable skill set, but you know, whatever, it's a passion project. It's whatever I want to make. And so 
you know, it's a typical pattern for me that when I have an idea, I make it within the next month, even the next like week or so if I have time. Um, and so I had, I happened to be on a little pit stop, uh, from my trip. I was still traveling at the time. So I, from my, from when I met you, like to spring of 2017, I was still on the road, but I had a pit stop in LA and I ordered all these paper backdrops and like pounds of bread to my grandma's house and, you know, set up my little tripod and digital camera and started doing the project. And I made the project, all of the content for the project, I think the first 20 of them within like a week, I was just like nonstop making these like bread crowns on these little plastic headbands I found and shooting them in my back, in my grandma's backyard. Um, and she just thought I was nuts, but she, her, her main concern was, did I, did I pay full price for all of that food? Cause she's a big, uh, coupon, <laughs> couponer, <laughs> which was so cute. Um, and then after I was done with the crowns, I'd like cut up the muffins and like give them to her and she'd snack on them. And it was, it was adorable, but yeah, that was really just a, a true passion project in the sense of it was something fun that I wanted to explore and create. And I'm guessing that you've had people on your show or you, you've heard the advice before that like, you know, as a designer, you should make what you want, what you wish existed in the world or what you would want to see in the world. And it really is as simple as that sometimes, like in the case of flower crowns is I think projects can be fun. And honestly, my most successful passion projects have been almost the most irreverent and like silly ones because they're so honest and pure. And I think they come from a very genuine place as opposed to trying to reverse engineer, you know, what's popular right now, what would be trendy, what would, what will get me exposure? What would people share? Trying to think that way, it just comes off as a little disingenuous, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I love that it starts with, you know, a sense of humor and, and playfulness. And, and then, and then it turns into this, it kind of snowballs and turns into this thing, because you, you've done a lot of the photographs for me, they look like they're done, you know, in a, in a professional studio. And... Thank you. They're definitely not. Um, on my blog, I actually, I can send you a photo to go along with this podcast. I have a photo that my brother snapped of me, like in the process of shooting those crowns. And uh, I demanded the photo back. And then he, you know, ended up, I was like, don't you dare post that because it's in my grandma's backyard. And <laughs> my grandma is old and very cute but is kind of a hoarder and so it's i mean we consider it her trash alley so backyard equals trash alley in this scenario so it's just me surrounded like by a bunch of junk but i you know it's like a little four foot by four foot colored paper backdrop like i cropped in tight enough where you couldn't tell from the photos like it's not it's not the kind of equipment you have it's you know kind of what you do with it and i love that challenge of how can i low budget kind of hack this Oh yeah. Super, super fun. And that's part of the, the creative process, like what makes it interesting. Right. But you, you, yeah, I love, I think I did see uh, that photo somewhere, I guess on your blog. Um, and it's wonderful. And we'll, we'll share it in the show notes if that's okay. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, you're out in the sun. I mean, you're literally, I guess the Los Angeles sun is like, you know, nothing can beat that for natural light. Yeah. Natural light, paper backdrop, you know, digital camera. It wasn't anything fancy. Um, I love it. Yeah. In that project, it's funny to start with that one, right? Because as you said, you know, you've made a career uh, of lettering and, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and that, that was a, it's a really different creative outlet for you. Yes. And I don't think I would have been able to pursue something like flower crowns had I not built up a pretty strong, like consistent basis of hand lettering projects. It was kind of a natural progression, actually. I started with hand lettering projects, um, obviously still infused with humor and kind of wit. But then I started doing hand lettering and food projects and then, you know, hand lettering and travel. And so I started incorporating my other personal interests into hand lettering. And I think that because I had started to build an audience, not only of people who enjoyed the lettering, but also enjoyed the humor and the like themes in my work, I was able to get away with posting a project like Flower Crowns and not like have half of my followers jump ship because it was just completely, you know, a 180 from what they were used to seeing. Um, and I think that that's what things like dribble and Instagram and these kind of community based platforms allow for designers to do is build a following around not only their work, but their personality and their advice and their other skill sets besides just their portfolio. So it's really cool. Yeah, no, that's super cool. And has that, do you feel like that's helped uh, you with clients, you know, attracting clients that maybe have those interests or 
Like, in other words, have people seen flower crowns and been like, oh, wow, this is great. And, and now I want to hire you to, 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 to do photography or, or, or lettering, you know? Yeah. I'd say that I haven't had any direct like flower crown commissions, which I was honestly surprised about, but no worries. Like at the end, like I always tell people worst case scenario with a passion project that you're super excited about and that you really loved making worst case scenario is that you have like a badass new portfolio piece and someone might see it eventually. It might not be today or tomorrow or even six months from that from now, but you have something that you're really proud of. So it's just kind of there. I think it's helped differentiate me, um, online because I don't know how many other hand lettering artists also post photos of themselves with, you know, humorous kind of bread on their head. Um, I definitely have kind of moved. I was joking with my agent the other day, actually, that at like, we've moved into more of a like content creation space. I'm a hand letterer, but I also now style photos and photograph things with like in conjunction with my lettering. And it's, we were joking that like social media content and digital content for me in terms of client work has replaced uh, the editorial stuff that I used to do. I still do the occasional editorial project, but mm, I'd say in the last two years, it's been way more like social content for brands. Yeah. Right. So that experience of like learning how to light Mm -hmm. a photograph and, and uh, it's probably been really valuable, you know, even though you're, you're, you're known for lettering. Oh yeah. And I'd say too, like, because it shows off my personality and sense of humor and kind of interests, um, it's attracted maybe not clients who are in the you know food space, but the people who come to me uh, are almost more excited to work with me because they feel like they know me already. And so I really love that aspect of what a passion project like that can do. Um, and yeah, That's like, a it's great. It's point. great to start off a client relationship with them, like already wanting to be friends with you. What's better than that? <laughs> That's a great point. Honestly, like it's it's not it's not necessarily about creating this work so that you'll do this work to get paid. It's it's more your personality, right? And and people understanding that. I, I always tell my students too. There are many different ways you can position a passion project for different, you know, I guess uh, you know goals you're trying to achieve. You can do a passion project mostly to try to add a new portfolio piece and get hired for a new type of work. I did that with. Um, I think in 2014, I did a project called Will Letter for Lunch, where I was doing lettering for a while, but I really wanted to do chalkboards, but I really didn't know where to start. I thought about getting, you know, a, painting a chalkboard wall in my apartment or getting a little A-frame and practicing, you know, quotes or song lyrics. But then I had the idea to barter with local restaurants in Brooklyn. Uh, I would do their chalkboard signs, little A-frames outside in exchange for whatever I wrote on the board. So the food items that I wrote on the board, I would get paid in and I blogged about it. I I would post the menu board and post the food I got. And it was really just a fun kind of marketing barter project. And it got picked up by tons of food blogs and design blogs. And it was really cool because it kind of cross promoted me to a new audience of like food people. Um, Whereas typically I think I tell my students this too, designers, typically think that they need to market to other designers and cater to other designers. But it's actually, usually designers are not the ones who hire us. Like I get more referrals from regular people um, and people who aren't in the design industry, I'd say, than, you know, from my peers. Um, I get the occasional referral from a peer, of course. But That's another great point. I like that it's easy to think of the designer audience as the ultimate audience when, when a lot of the especially for client work, right? It's, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, it is valuable, uh, you know, to have art directors following you or following your work, but you know, the vast majority of people who are in your audience, maybe I'd say on more so on Instagram than dribble dribble is mostly a community of creatives, I'd say, or are there recruiters too, or other people? There are. Yeah. There's not necessarily recruiters, but also just people, fans like, uh, or just mm. people that are interested in design and, yes. um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I I also, I've booked jobs before where I'll usually, you know, if I can ask a client and like, you know, by the way, like who sent you my way or how do you find out about me? If they haven't already told me that like they follow me on Instagram or whatever it might be. Uh, And there was one gal who had hired me for an on-site lettering event and I asked her, I was like, by the way, uh, how did you uh, find out about me? And I kid you not, she said, oh, I asked my roommate if she knew any hand letterers and she showed me your Instagram. And that was it. Like, so her roommate who is not a designer, um, 
sent her or sent me her way and I ended up getting the job. Um, I always tell people too, it's almost, I think it's almost smarter to not position yourself, but cater a little bit more to the non-design crowd because, you know, in the design world, I think we have a tendency to, we downplay ourselves because if you're in a design bubble, everyone else around you knows how to do what you do. And we forget how valuable we are and how rare we actually are that you're probably the only illustrator or graphic designer or animator or letterer that your friends and family know. Like the average person, to the average person, we are pretty freaking special. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yeah. I've had that thought myself. It's so cool to hear you say this because uh, it is very easy to get caught up in the tight knit community that we're in and, and not realize like, yeah, for the average person. Um, I think that's wonderful. That's a great perspective. Yeah. And there is so much value in the uh, design community as well. But I think I've over the last couple of years had to remind myself to temper that with, you know, getting some outside perspective and making some friends who don't do what I do um, just to give me a bit more even keeled perspective on where I stand and how I'm doing. And because, you know, there's too far down either way is not good. I have so many people who come to me who are just crippled by self-doubt because everyone else out there is already a hundred times better than they think they'll ever be. So why even try? And that's not good. No, it's not. And it's such, such good advice. Once again, this episode is brought to you by dot me. Only a personal website allows you to truly express yourself as an artist and a professional. Most importantly, it gives you the control over your content. Whether you decide on a your name, surname, dot me combination, or a catchy call to action for your domain name, nothing says personal better than dot me. Dot me is trusted by almost a million people and businesses from all over the world, including some big brands like Facebook, PayPal, and Spotify. Dot me, short, sweet, and personal. Thanks to Dot me for sponsoring again. Such a cool top-level domain, and uh, really everybody should have one of these. So we we talked about before when I met you in Omaha. You know, I think you were about to travel the world, and um, I, I want to get into that because that triggered or was an inspiration or vice versa for for a couple of different projects of yours. So I wonder if you could tell us about about how you traveled the world while still being able to work and, and, and also like publish, you know. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was, it feels like such a long time ago, but it really wasn't. Um, so at the beginning of 2016, like two months after I think I met you in Omaha, I packed up I, my apartment in New York. I, my friend moved in to cover the lease. Um, and I, put everything into a backpack and just decided I was going to travel for at least a year. I had been freelancing for a year and a half, like from my kitchen in New York. I always say my studio, but let's be honest, it's probably your kitchen or your living room or your bedroom, <laughs> but you have to stay studio to, you know, look professional <laughs> and to take it, a, to take it, a, to, to take it like a step uh, up, you have to use we, we on your portfolio. So you're a studio. You're not, you're not an individual. <laughs> always use we. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and so I, packed everything up and decided, you know, I had been doing freelance successfully for a year and a half, which in hindsight was not that long and probably was not enough of a data set for me to confidently leave. But, you know, I, I appreciate some of the naivete and like irreverence I had in my earlier twenties. Like I'm, I'm glad I just rolled with it and I was curious. Uh, and so I decided if I can do it from my kitchen in Brooklyn and clients don't seem to have a problem, like sure. I knew I was going to lose maybe 25% of the work that was on site or, you know, that I had to be there for. But other than that, I felt confident that, you know, I could, I could work and travel at the same time because most of my work was being done digitally. Um, you know, thank goodness for laptops and I had a little portable scanner. I didn't even have an iPad at the time. I was scanning actual work in, um, and doing it with my Wacom tablet and Photoshop and delivering files that way. And honestly, other than the time difference, it was completely fine working abroad. Um, sure, there were some countries like in Bolivia and in Vietnam, like the Wi-Fi isn't very good. So you kind of had to like adjust for that. Luckily for me, the only Wi-Fi heavy things that I do are either video chatting or uploading files. So it was it was generally okay. And 
yeah, I decided I was going to work and travel. And you had mentioned uh, the couple of projects that I started because of that. Um, I figured that because I was going to be gone for at least a year, it'd be fun to have a personal project to work on while I was there. And I, I like structure. It's interesting. There's, I feel like people romanticize freelancing because you have, there's almost like no rules, no structure, work in your pajamas, like stay up till 5am. But I think, (laughs) I think most creatives function well with a little bit of structure. And so I, when you're working for yourself, you have to give yourself that. So I set myself up with this project called no photos, please, where I vowed to draw everything instead of take photos of it on my trip to spend less time on my phone. And what I thought was going to happen was I would practice drawing like people and mountains and like cityscapes and stuff. But I ended up just going back to lettering. So I, for, I didn't take any photos for the year. I genuinely didn't. But instead of having images in my sketchbook, I ended up with all of these, you know, like hundreds of hand lettered pieces in my sketchbook. Some of them were, you know, kind of journaly entries. Some of them were, you know, kind of, you know, quotes or thoughts I was having. Some of them were, I was lettering the names of the places that I went. And I just, you know, the project took a slightly different turn, but it was still kind of true to what I had set out to do. And that was really fun. And I realized too, that that project grew my Instagram following exponentially because I was sharing all of this hand done content as opposed to kind of finessed, polished off, uh, you know, images of lettering done in Photoshop or Illustrator. There's something really nice about, I don't know, seeing the work done by hand or like in an actual environment, um, that I think is special. And prior, prior to that too, um, I had, also had an idea. There were two passion projects that were inspired by my, my travels. Um, I had just come off the success of three passion projects, uh, that were honestly, my first three passion projects were pretty wild successes. I had daily dishonesty, uh, ex-boyfrontiers, will letter for lunch. So I had hit three home runs basically. And so I figured, you know, the next one is obviously going to be a home run, which was totally not what happened, but I decided I would, (laughs) I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if I could fundraise for my trip around the world. I had all, I had money saved up already. Um, I'm pretty risk averse. So of course I had money saved up already in case I needed to dip into savings. But I figured it would be a cool way, like a cool conceptual way to fundraise for my trip if I created travel, you know, travel themed posters and sold them and then the profits would fund my my trip. So I created this series of nine travel quotes. I, I called the project um 26, what was it? Oh, 26 letters, 26,000 miles. Um, uh, 26 letters in the alphabet, 26,000 miles being the circumference of the earth. Uh, it just kind of lined up nicely. And I, you know, I had a, I'd say decent sized Instagram following at the time, maybe 20,000 people. And I, for some reason in my head was like, this is going to make 10 or $20,000. It's going to be great. I had never really sold posters before. And I don't know why I just set my expectations so high. And I launched the project and some people bought posters, uh, but the real valuable thing from this project was at the very last minute when I was building out the website, I think I had used Squarespace at the time, they had an option to add a donate button at the bottom of the page. Um, and I you know, had originally been like, why would anyone donate money if they could just have a poster? No one's going to donate money. And then I figured, you know, why not put it there? And so I just threw it there at the bottom of the page and said something like, you know, if you hate posters with a burning passion, but love me, you know, donate here. And (laughs) when I checked the like financials at the end of the, you know, I think I ran the campaign for four or five months. I had only made about $4,000, which was still pretty good. Um, And, but I was really shocked to find that half of that money had come from poster sales, but the other half had come from pure donations. And I was really blown away that someone would want to give me money without getting anything in return. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yes, I know. And it was not what I expected. I really didn't expect anyone to donate. And that really kind of got the gears turning in my mind for kind of, it kind of led me to what I'm doing now, actually, where I realized that, hey, people like my work. They want to support me. They like what I'm doing, but maybe they don't want a physical poster to hang in their house for whatever reason. At first, you know, of course, my ego, like, took a bruising and was like, people don't like my work. Um, And then I realized that there are a multitude of reasons why someone might not want a poster with a travel quote on it. Maybe it doesn't match the color scheme of their house. Maybe they're moving. Maybe, you know, they just 
you can like a piece of art and still not want to put it in your home or in your office. And I, I realized that it wasn't, I did, I, I realized I shouldn't take it personally, but because it, I, of that information though, I realized that, you know, people want to support me and maybe there's something else I could offer that wasn't physical, um, that would be valuable to them as well. So from there, I actually started teaching workshops while, while, while I was traveling. Uh, and then back in the States when I would pop through every, you know, six months or so, and that was really fun. And, it ultimately led me to kind of what I'm doing now, which is I do client work, but I also teach online courses um, where I teach people how to uh, hand letter or how to create conceptual passion projects. And I have a couple more in the works, but I realize that I can provide value to people in like intangible ways, I guess, with knowledge. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So that, well, the whole thing is interesting about, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, don't be afraid to put a donate button on there, which is super interesting that it's also yeah, paying attention to your like actual, I, I'm actually like deep down. No one knows this about me. I'm like a math nerd. I was a mathlete in like middle school and I thought I was going to be like a doctor or scientist for the longest time, but I ended up an artist, go figure. <laughs> but I still have like a deep love for like quantitative like numbers. And so I, I always tell people too, it was a turning point for me because I realized that, you know, all the effort I had put into making those posters and the previous efforts I had put into making just products and like, you know, like, like we were talking about earlier, cups and mugs and prints and just all the like pins, all the things that, you know, designers made and sold that I had seen previously, they weren't selling for me. And I thought that, you know, it took, it took a couple, I think years to figure out that, Hey, the effort I'm putting into creating these products that I think I should be making like posters aren't really paying off. And I, I always refer to it as like the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Um, and then I realized like, Hey, maybe it's just, you know, everyone's audience is different. Everyone's demographic and everyone's specialty is different. And t-shirt sales might be through the roof for someone else, but if they don't work for you for three years straight, you should probably stop doing them if you're trying to have a profitable business. Uh, and I think that's one thing that no one in like art school prepared me or any of my classmates for is how to run a business as opposed to how to just like have the design skills. And it, is pretty simple, I suppose, to like, you know, if it's not profitable, stop doing it. But I think that as designers, we put the creativity and the design first and we focus on that as opposed to the actual numbers behind what's actually moving the needle on our businesses. At least that was what I did for the longest time. Did you go to school for, you know, art and design? I went to the School of Visual Arts in New York City uh, for advertising, actually. I remember... I, like I said, I thought I was going to be like a scientist or a doctor or something. And uh, I always hate telling the story, but it's true what happened. Um, I was super smart, super nerdy. And then sophomore year of high school, I got a boyfriend and my grades started slipping because I'm an asshole. And <laughs> I was always good at art though. And I still, I, I always liked to draw. I just was always told that it was a hobby, not a career. And so I because my grades were not like great enough to get into like uh, like regular college or a regular college that I would really want to go to, I decided I would go to art school. And it wasn't really like a plan B. It was just, I realized I had another option and I sold my parents on it. And I ended up selling them on it because advertising was this perfect intersection between like commerce, but also creativity. And I could, I showed them like I had done my research and I was like, I can be an art director and make, you know, $80,000 a year. And it, you know, it'll be solid. Like there's, there wasn't going to be a starving artist thing on the table with advertising and my parents liked that. And so I got them to sign off on it and I did four years of ad school at SVA and I ended up getting a job in advertising right after school. And like we were talking about earlier, I burnt out pretty quickly though. I think I romanticized the advertising industry uh, and, you know, the kinds of kinds of projects you make in school for whatever client you want with no you know limitations to budget or creative uh, just were not realistic for what an actual advertising agency was like. And we were working anywhere between 10 and 12 hours a day. And it was just all over the place. And i just really felt, I felt like the job lost its kind of glitter very quickly within the first six months. Um, but I didn't really know what to do because like, I didn't know anybody who was dissatisfied with their job that early. And I felt kind of alone and didn't really know who to talk to about it because, you know, it was, it was my dream job. If you had asked me the day I graduated, what I wanted to do, 
I got the job that I said I wanted. And it's, it was very weird emotionally to admit to myself that like, I think I fucked up. Like, I think I made a mistake. This actually isn't right. Um, and so I realized that I was the only variable left to change. Like it was a big agency. Like we were working for big clients. Like everybody else around me was, you know, working late nights and, you know, pulling their weight. And I just realized that, you know, if I'm this, if I'm this upset and this dissatisfied with my work at six months in, what is six years in going to look like? And is that something that I really want to do? And I actually, the best, the best career or some of the most pivotal career advice I got, um, I don't know if you've interviewed him for this podcast or you're friends with him. Um, Justin Genak, uh, who runs working, not working. Do you know oh, him? right. No, I, I, I don't. And, and I, I would like to though. <laughs> I should put you guys in touch. He's, he's fantastic. And I consider him one of my mentors. He and I met for coffee, um, right about the time where I was realizing I hated my job or I had come to terms with, I had come to terms with the fact that I did not like my job. And I told him about it because he's an ex-advertising art director as well. He was at Ogilvy for a while, I believe, and then decided to jump into entrepreneurship. And that was always really inspiring to me. I just didn't have an idea for like a business, but I thought I could freelance. And I told him, you know, I'm unhappy in advertising, um, but, you know, I think I can freelance and I'm going to just wait six more months so I can get uh, a year on my resume and then I'll quit because, you know, it looks bad if, you know, you're at a company for less than a year. That was what I thought. And without like missing a beat, he looked at me and he was like, but if you don't want to work in advertising, why does your advertising resume even matter? And I was like, whoa, like I had a light bulb moment and I was like, you're right. And so I put in my two weeks pretty shortly after that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But I will, I will backtrack a little bit and say the reason I was able to make that decision and put in my two weeks and, you know, have freelance to fall back on. It's not like I, I started from scratch. Um, I had a very interesting path actually happen at the end of, or the beginning of senior year of college. Um, Like I said, advertising major, school of visual arts. I had taken a communication design class from Gail Anderson my junior year, and she does a lot of type-focused work. Um, And I really liked type. I liked, like, I didn't know what lettering was exactly at the time, but I really knew that I had a knack for working with type and it was important for advertising art direction anyway. So I figured that would be the application in the future. But Gail pulled me aside like the second week of class and she was like, I think that you're in the wrong major. You should be a graphic designer. Like she basically told me like, I see something in you. You should switch majors. And Gail Anderson is like one of the most prolific graphic designers in the field today. And I totally brushed her off. (laughs) And she and I, (laughs) she and I joke about it to this day. We probably have lunch once a year and, We'll always joke about that because, and I guess the takeaway from that is if anyone who's listening, if Gail Anderson tells you to do something, you should probably just do it. (laughs) She's probably (laughs) right. (laughs) Listen to Gail. Mm -hmm. And so senior year, uh, I had started a hand lettering blog actually. And it wasn't like a, you know, place to document like, you know, just the hand lettering work I was doing. It was actually kind of a hybrid between advertising and design. I, long story short, I got drunk with my roommate one night when we were like 22 and we, we realized that we had all these grand plans for what we wanted to do senior year. Uh, and by the end of our list of all the things we wanted to do, we realized that we, there was no way we were going to do any of the stuff we talked about. Cause we were just so busy with school. We, we were like, we're going to go to yoga every day and we're going to start a baking blog and blah, blah, blah. And that sparked the idea for, uh, my blog daily dishonesty, where I realized I lie to myself all the time. My friends lie to themselves all the time in a lighthearted way, not in like an identity fraud kind of way. (laughs) And I just had this light bulb moment from that idea, not necessarily from the hand lettering, but I was like, this could be a funny series or a collection of work. So I started hand lettering all the little white lies that, you know, I and my friends told ourselves on, you know, a daily or weekly basis and started posting them to a Tumblr blog and to Dribbble uh, and to Behance and all these platforms. I just kind of put it everywhere with really no intention to profit from it or make it a portfolio piece. I just thought it was going to be a funny thing for my friends. And lo and behold, because I decided to host the main blog on Tumblr and it it had like a social functionality to it, it started getting reblogged and featured and like just organically spreading across the web. And, you know, I know we don't have a ton of time with this, but long story short, the blog went, 
you know, somewhat viral. Uh, I ended up getting a bunch of press and a book deal from the blog all before I graduated college. So, wow. and that, wow. is, that is not normal. I know that's not normal. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. But that, it started from an innocent, like, this is a joke that my friends would love, so I'm going to make it. And I, I always tell people too, you know, people always talk about demographics and target audiences. My formula for target audience is I make stuff that my friends and I would get a kick out of and would text to each other in our group text. And that's really my like barometer for, is it a good idea or not is would my closest girlfriends enjoy this? And it sounds overly simplistic, but it works. Um, you know, making work that you and your friends enjoy is the best way to make authentic work. Um, even if you don't think it's smart or strategic or whatever you are trying to impose on your own work, um, just making stuff that you like actually works um, and helps to build an audience and helps to build a brand. And so, yeah, I graduated with the book deal, but I still got my job in advertising because I, I didn't want to give up on it. I, I didn't, I wasn't not enjoying it in school and I figured I should give it a chance. It felt like a waste if I just did something else after doing four years of studying one thing. And because of daily dishonesty, because of the book deal, like, you know, I basically walked out of uh, college with $25,000 in my pocket, which was more money than I had ever seen. Um, so just to give some context of why I was able to decide to quit my job right away, I had financial security. I had press and like, I was building like a, you know, reputation for myself as a lettering artist without even knowing it because of this project. Um, and I started getting clients because of it. And daily dishonesty was really the catalyst for everything that I'm doing today. And all I had to do was finally be so unhappy that I, you know, made the little jump to, to freelance. And we were talking about this earlier, but I think that from the outside looking in, it's, we always refer to it as the, you know, big jump from full-time to freelance. How do I make the jump? Like there are dozens of articles written about this. And I like to think of it as it doesn't have to be a jump. It, it can be a jump if you make it a jump, but there are things you can do before you even, you know, lift a foot up to bring those kind of mountains closer. Um, you know, you can save money, you can send out feelers to other jobs or to other clients. You can redo your portfolio and position yourself as a freelance illustrator or whatever you want to be. Um, you know, there are things that you can do ahead of time to make the jump feel more like a hop. And that's what I recommend that everyone who is thinking about leaving their job start to do. You don't have to quit your job. Like, tomorrow. I mean, you can, if you want, but I, I'm a bigger fan of like the kind of slower and steadier. Cause it still took me a while. Like once I decided after that conversation with Justin, you know, I was like, okay, I don't need to stay in advertising for a year. So that was at the six month, six month point, I think. And so mm -hmm. I took the next, I think two months, um, to get my lettering portfolio, like spruced up. I started reaching out to illustration agents. Um, I started sending out feelers to my networks of who needed freelance work. Um, and I even went as far as to line up a part-time job for myself when I left, uh, my advertising agency job, just so I would have just some like base income coming in, in case there was slow like work. And I think that that's a story I actually have never really shared publicly, but I've been meaning to. So this is the debut of that story. People yeah. always forget that like in Los Angeles, actors and actresses like bartend and waitress to make some money while they're pursuing their dream. And it's okay. Like even in a freelance designer sense to have a part-time job while you're getting your freelance business off the ground, if it would make you feel more comfortable, like financially and it made me feel more comfortable. I was a dog walker for six months and I loved it. And then I got too busy with freelance and it just kind of all worked out. But I padded the beginning of my career with that because I wasn't confident. And people think I just kind of, you know, book deal, lettering, you know, notoriety. So like I was super confident jumping into my job. That was definitely not the case. I was 23 years old. Like I didn't know anything. And of course I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> uh, you bring a great point there about you know, actresses and actors and, and how they supplement, mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or oftentimes, you know, it's more than supplementing uh, until they, until they can break through. I love the idea of a hop rather than a jump. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. It makes it a lot less scary, um, especially too for, you know, designers, I think are typically overthinkers and we like to have a, you know, kind of clear path mapped out, but there really is no clear path mapped out and the stars will never be aligned for you to perfectly make a, you know, smooth transition to anything. So there will be some bumps, sure. but 
you know, nothing that you can't handle. <laughs> so true. That that's true. There's never a perfect time. Uh, so if you're thinking about it, you just got to go for it. I, I want to, you know, switch gears a little mm-hmm. bit because I, I feel like you've been really successful, which is amazing. You've got a great audience and you've built up a great community around your work. I wonder about imitation and when, especially in the lettering world, this, this has come up, you know, a lot where, um, you're, you're sharing a lot of these things online and then, uh, it's easy for folks to, to sort of take that and imitate it or rip it off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wonder how you, de- you deal with that. Cause you must, you must get a lot of it. Yeah, it, it does happen. And I think it's just a product of technology and how we use the internet now and social media and, you know, obviously I'd say, okay, I say, I'd say it's, it's a gray area for me. Um, it really depends when it comes to imitation, who's imitating what their intentions were. Um, you know, there's imitation in the sense of I've had people who have copied my work for practice, but still posted it on Instagram, but said, you know, right. Inspired by, you know, artwork and words inspired by like, you know, Lauren Hom and they've, it's been kind of like an admiration post and it's, I've, I, there are mixed opinions on this. You technically should not post, you know, copies of other people's works, even if it's just for practice, but I'm pretty lenient when it comes to that, because, you know, if it's a brand who has, copied my work, you know, of course, and they're profiting from it. Of course, there's more of an issue. Or if, even if it's a small business, I, a lot of the energy that I do expend on educating people about imitation and copyright and kind of fair use comes from kind of a, not a, no one comes at it from a bad place. Like brands, smaller brands will just share my work. Let's say on, it's, it's a new form of media. Like if a small company reposts my work. And even the, even though they credit me, they post it and they're promoting, you know, a sale or something. They're basically using my work on Instagram as an advertisement for their sale. And it's been hard to explain to people who don't know about usage and who aren't in the creative world, why that's wrong. And so I've been, I've been fine tuning my responses for the last couple of years. Uh, but for the most part, you know, people always ask me about watermarking and how do I protect, you know, my work against being st- it being stolen and, you know, people don't want to post their work because they're worried that people will steal it. But the pros greatly outweigh the cons of sharing your work online. Yes, there will be the outliers where a brand steals your work. It's actually happening to me right now. Um, the supermarket chain in the States, Kroger, oh, Kroger uh, copy and pasted a piece of my work. They had cut it out from an old piece I did from 2014 for their holiday campaign. And we have been in touch with their legal team and they're just like vehemently denying it. And so that's wrong. Like if you steal the work, it's wrong. Right. Copying it's subjective. I think, you know, some people would say it's, it's too close or it's not that close. And the way the rule that I've kind of set for myself to protect, to protect my intellectual property, but also to protect my like emotional sanity as an entrepreneur and an artist is, you know, I always ask myself, is this a good use of my time and my energy? And for me, it's boiled down to, it's going to happen anyways. People will emulate, imitate, copy to all different kinds of extents. And yes, my audience is wonderful in the sense that they'll usually alert me if there is, you know, someone who's copying too close or if they see a brand stealing it. But for the most part, my energy is better spent creating new work and innovating on new concepts than it is trying to, you know, protect my work from being, from ever being stolen because it's just something that's going to happen and it's totally shitty. And you should definitely stand up for yourself as an artist, uh, especially if someone's trying to profit off of your intellectual property. But at the same time, I think a lot of it falls into that gray area of people, you know, the design community is, is big, but it's not that big and trends. And if your piece becomes popular on dribble or on Pinterest or wherever it is, you kind of have to expect that with that popularity are going to come copycats. Unfortunately, it's just something that goes hand in hand. And if anything, I've just kind of, you know, flipped it in my mind to see it as like a new creative challenge where I just have to be extra innovative and like extra creative and really be ahead of the the curve when it comes to 
copywriting and, you know, art direction and my lettering. Um, I heard, I forget who said this, but I heard someone years ago give a good piece of advice of if you don't want people to copy your work, you should probably make it less hard to copy, like make your technique so complicated that no one else can can replicate it. (laughs) Which honestly is why I've actually, I have in the last year started experimenting less with new lettering styles and more with new lettering applications and mediums and techniques. So I've gone from paper and pencil and like digital lettering um, to chalkboard lettering to, you know, painted lettering in murals to lettering made out of clay to lettering made out of food. Um, I'm really interested in how I can apply it more so than how I can, you know, I'm, I'm not really like a perfectionist or a fine tuner. I hate sitting in front of the computer, like toying with like Bezier curves and like vectors. It's not <laughs> plotting points is like my nightmare. I Same. am way more of a, I'd say conceptual thinker. And I like, I get things done to where it looks nice. Um, but I, I don't obsess over the small details, which has served me well because it's allowed me to, I think, put out a greater volume of work. Sure. Not everything's perfect, but you know, like kind of like we were, what we were talking about with the just kind of pace of social media now, quality over quantity still reigns true, but you do, it's hard. I, it's a little different for everybody, but I do feel like quantity does have some validity in the current kind of landscape of how we share things. You do, I think posting five or like posting two really good pieces per week is better than posting one quote unquote perfect piece per month, I would say. Uh, that's, that's good advice yeah. actually. Yeah, that's true. I think I, I get into that myself, you oh, know, yeah? where it's I'm like, well, it's, why don't I wait until this is done or, you know, and that's, and that's a tricky, tricky spot to be in. You're right. in that visibility, right. Is, is just as important as, uh, whatever it is you're creating. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, being, I guess, you know, I, I think back to when I started lettering, I almost consider myself an accidental, you know, lettering artist because it was not intentional. Uh, I just followed kind of a hunch and it was a hobby that turned into a full-blown career. And I almost got lucky in the sense that because I wanted to be an advertising art director, not a hand lettering artist, like I admired Jessica Hish, John Contino, um, Dan Cassaro so much, but I never thought they always seemed like they were in another league. I never thought I was going to be a full-time hand lettering artist. I thought I would just be an art director who also could hand letter, you know, for certain projects. And because I wasn't trying to be the next Jessica Hish, I didn't put any pressure on my lettering work to be anything other than, you know, did I have fun making it? And that allowed me at the very beginning, which is what ended up being like kind of my saving grace from what I've heard from people who are beginning now is I just put out work like, And didn't really think twice about it. It wasn't perfect, but I didn't care because I was so in love with the concept of daily dishonesty and what it represented and the kind of the backstory of how it started. And again, with the mindset of I'm going to make this fun thing for me and my best friends. And that was really all I was trying to accomplish. Yeah. So don't, don't overthink it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a certain level of quality and like skill like that needs to be put into work for it to be viable online and for people to start following you. Um, and it doesn't mean that very beginner people should not post their work. I think that it's, if anything, it's fun to like look back in five years and be like, wow, look at that piece of shit I made in, you know, 20, 2009. <laughs> it's just kind of a fun reminder, oh, yes. uh, from where, from where you started. And I love when artists post, you know, things that they made five or 10 years ago compared to where they are now, because, it really just goes to show you that it takes time. Like you, there's no way to have overnight success. You can expedite the process with, you know, a good passion project or by knowing people in the industry or with a quote unquote, like lucky break, whatever that may be. But for the most part, it's just going to take time and practice. Um, and not only to build your skills, but to build your confidence in like, Hey, I can actually do this. Um, I don't know anyone who's been able to, even if they've read every single, you know, creative self-help book and listened to every single podcast with the most famous designers in the world. I don't know a single person who's been able to flip that confidence switch in their mind overnight and be like, Hey, wait, I can actually start my own business and I'm going to do it now. (laughs) 
<laughs> it just takes time to warm up to the idea, I think. <laughs> oh, I, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it is so helpful, though, to see others who have blazed the trail before you, who have ventured out and been okay, and actually not just been okay, but done very well for themselves. And, you know, higher risk, higher reward, uh, my dad always said. And it is seemingly risky, but it's also not. Like, people always think about the security of a full-time job, but your job could, you know, you could get laid off, you could get fired, the company could go under. It could have nothing to do with you. Like, job security at a company, I don't think, is... It's not any more secure than doing your own thing, in my opinion. I, if, In fact, I like being in the driver's seat and having more control over my business. Um, and I feel more secure in that, in my ability to come up with new ideas and generate different kinds of income and really steer my business in a way that like complements my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's sort of a myth that mm-hmm. uh, a quote-unquote steady job is is secure you know yeah. i mean oh anything can happen out there and uh I'm, I'm with you i'd rather be in control of that for sure yeah well geez lauren i i, I could hear about your projects <laughs> for the next 10 hours because there's so many of them there's just so much to talk about i know there really is it's we incredible could record and... the first 10 hour podcast oof that would be rough imagine <laughs> that that would be that would be i mean if someone that would be perfect for like a road trip you know, a long road trip. Well, okay. I just had an idea for dribble to start doing a series of designer road trip podcasts where you do 10 hour road trips and like live stream the whole chat with the designers. That'd be so cool. Um, I'm in. Cause wait, didn't, you, didn't you just start like an <laughs> adventure, in. like outdoor kind of uh, brand as well? I, I, I did actually. Yes. And, uh, I did not, I did not pay you to say that. Um, <laughs> he did not, I, I swear he did not, but Hey, uh, the second that dribble dribble rolls out a designer road trip, sign me up. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, that honestly, that would be like a dream come true. That I would think. be so uh, fun. <laughs> be really fun. Yeah, travel adventure plus design. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, if we do it, I'm calling you. Yeah, um, you better. <laughs> I thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time, sharing your your journey and your your experience. So so helpful. There's like so many. There's so many things you were saying, and I'm like, yep, that's that's like a amazing bit of advice, and it just happened so many times. So, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was great chatting. Take care. Bye. This has been Overtime, Dribble's official podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you do have feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. Shoot me an email, dan at dribble.com, with any uh, feedback or suggestions for how to make the show better. And also, please rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd really appreciate that, too. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time.